This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on summer vacation. She returns next Wednesday. Nearing the end of the pandemic is a joyous time for many of us, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of Canadians who are still grieving the loss of loved ones who died after contracting COVID-19. The toll of grief is also high if you include those who died of something other than COVID during the pandemic, when funerals and in-person goodbyes were disrupted for everyone, regardless of cause of death. So just as the country reopens, the bereaved are still struggling. There are numbers to put this bereavement into perspective. In Canada, nearly 26,500 people are known to have died after contracting the virus. If each had an average of nine close relatives, then around 238,000 Canadians may be in mourning right now. I understand it may be difficult, but if you want to share your story of grief during the pandemic, the phone lines are open 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Joining us to talk about grieving during and after the pandemic, Dr. Stephen Taylor, professor and clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. Columbia and author of The Psychology of Pandemics, and Dr. Darcy Harris, grief counselor and professor of bereavement studies at Western University. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jane. Dr. Harris, you liken this time to the aftermath of a hurricane. How so? Well, I'm from originally from Florida, and as we started getting into the pandemic and I was uh, having people describe their experiences of, you know, what would it be like after the pandemic, I remembered that in Florida when you'd have a hurricane come through, you'd batten down the hatches, you'd, you know, try to protect what you could, and you'd sort of hunker down. And after the storm went through, there was a sense of relief that it was done, and then you would open the front door and see all the damage, and it would take weeks to uh, to just recover from the damage, the trees down, the property damage. And so that was sort of the image that came to my mind, that the pandemic lifting, and we all saw the sense of, thank goodness, and then we open our front doors, and we're left with, you know, what is it now, what is what is normal going to be like now, because it's going to be very different than what we've had in the past. So maybe some people who've lost loved ones to COVID-19 haven't even fully realized their grief yet, Dr. Harris. Or have been supported in their grief as well. And there's going to be a disconnect, I think, in timing for a lot of people that maybe their loved one died a year ago and people heard of the loss and, and were aware of it, but there was no funeral, no real formal ritual. And now that, you know, people are coming out and, and loved ones are starting to get together and to plan funerals, uh, it's a disconnect between uh, their grief and, and being able to recognize it and the fact that life has moved on since that time as well. So it sort of uh, negates some of the ritual and some of the meaning that is attached to the social support that accompanies being able to support loved ones in a, in a funeral situation or even an aftercare situation. Dr. Taylor, let's talk about the loss those Canadians are feeling, the Canadians who lost someone to COVID-19. Well, there's going to be a range of reactions. Um, For some people, it's going to be more or less standard bereavement. And, you know, that is still very severe and take a year or more. And 
Uh, as uh, Dr. Harris pointed out, rituals have been um, disrupted during this pandemic, and rituals are hugely important. As a society, we have rituals around beginnings of things and ends of things, birth, death, marriages, and so forth. And when you disrupt those, people can't grieve properly. So there's that issue. There's also the issue of prolonged grief disorder, which is a severe disorder afflicting maybe 10% of bereaved people. Now, that's a chronic, severe disorder that requires specialized treatment. And we don't have the resources for that already. So my, my concern is that we'll have a lot of grieving people after this pandemic and we won't have the resources to treat them. The other important thing is the, the lack of a common fate that some people experience during this pandemic. And this makes this pandemic very different from a natural disaster such as an earthquake, which affects just about everyone in mm-hmm. the community. For this pandemic, some people are bereaved and some people are okay. So the bereaved people will be seeing other people in the community bouncing back and joyously re- resuming their socialising whereas that's going to make things a little more difficult for people in a state of of loss and grief at the moment. Uh, What about, Dr. Taylor, what about those who feel sad for all of the loss, even if it's not personal as uh, the pandemic begins to lift? It it may hit us collectively about uh, the, uh, the loss. I mean, the tens of thousands of lives that have been lost in this country alone. And the impact of that probably won't happen until later on, until people get a chance to to settle down and resume their lives and reflect back on what has changed. And yes, they will be reflecting back on the, the many losses that have occurred, but hopefully people will also be reflecting on the way they've changed in positive ways during the pandemic. And that's a phenomenon called post-traumatic growth. And some people won't just bounce back, they'll grow as human uh, beings. So that's perhaps a silver lining in all of this. I'd like to go to the phones, uh, and it's uh, encouraging to see some of you already calling in to share your stories of loss um, because of COVID-19, loved ones you've lost, or people with compromised immune systems who ended up getting the virus and passing away prematurely. Uh, it is always difficult to tell your story, especially in front of a radio audience, but it is anonymous, and um Maybe it might even be therapeutic. I'll give you the numbers again. 416-360-0740. Toll 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Heather in Milton. Hi, Heather. Hi, how are you today? I'm fine. What's your story? Um, so my boyfriend's parents um, came home from uh, South America immediately after the whole thing broke out. And uh, within days, his grandfather was admitted to hospital, put on a ventilator. A couple of days later, his grandmother had to go to the hospital. And um, within days, we lost them both. And within one day, we lost them within hours. And and what I'm I'm sorry for your loss. Um, and, And what was their health like prior to contracting the virus? His grandfather was in good health. His grandmother, um, she had some issues here and there, but um, she actually died of a massive heart attack in the hospital, um, and we think it was because of love loss. Oh, okay. Knowing that they were in the same hospital and couldn't see each other. Right. And then we had to call the hospital and tell them to take him off the ventilator because he wouldn't want to live without her. And how have your partner, your boyfriend's uh, parents, and ha- him and his siblings, how has everybody been um, in recovering from it? We had to do a virtual funeral because um, I have a lower immune system. I have type 1 diabetes, so I wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. He has diabetes, so there was only so many people that could be there. So watching somebody in a casket on a virtual funeral is the hardest thing you oh, ever yeah. have to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you you can't say goodbye. No. So it's, and, and that's that's a new experience, Heather, for a, a lot of people to actually see someone in a casket on video. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's yeah. And, I mean, his mom went down to take care of them as well, like, take care of her mom because she couldn't be by herself. And she ended up contracting COVID and was in isolation for 17 weeks. Oh, wow. And she's so, okay? Yeah, it's been a hard tool. <laughs> she's okay, though? She's fantastic now. Oh. She's double vaccinated. She's 
everything is good. She's back to work. Everything is great. Well, that is that is positive. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much. I hope all you are well. Thank you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Harris, let's talk about um, mm-hmm. the, the whole thing around the funerals. Either people were able to have very small funerals or like Heather was talking about on video. Um, is are, Would it help people to do it again or is it is it better to just let it rest the way that it was during the pandemic? I think that's going to be an individual decision. And uh, for some people, it might be hard to go back and then plan a funeral a year later. Um, and, and it might be really hard to set aside that time now that a year has passed. And for others, they might have been waiting to do maybe uh, scattering of the ashes or to do an internment of an urn until everybody could come together. So I think that's going to really depend upon the family and, and what's working for the family. Um, as Heather describes in her situation, there are so many factors that will contribute to the grief in this family. And I think that the scenario of not being able to be there, or even if you're there, you're in full PPE, so you look like an alien, um, and your loved one may not even be able to see your eyes. You know, the, the lack of touch, the lack of connection, uh, the traumatic images that come to your mind of people being in the ICU, they all play a part in on top of the social isolation, the inability to come together and, and have the ritual. I think you, you look at funerals and say this is a, a huge piece for people that's hanging, but it's also a, a, a whole uh, series of things that are contributing to what I'd call a, the difficult grief. And uh, as Dr. Taylor referred to as, you know, predispositions to prolonged grief disorder, which is actually we're seeing now in, in COVID um, higher rates of people. There are studies now in the States looking at um, prolonged grief disorder after COVID, and, and the numbers are staggering. They're, they're more than double what we would usually see in the general population. We don't have the ability to look at it over time yet. And I think time will tell. Some of the countries that have been dealing with it longer than, than those of us in North America are showing the higher rates um, gradually declining down, but with a subset that's remaining higher than, than the usual norm that we would actually see. So I think funerals and rituals and the, the scenarios around the death, the feeling of powerlessness, the isolation, it's just this perfect storm of, um, you know, making for very difficult grief, even as we also look at a lot of resilience that comes through. They're, they're hand in hand. This is Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, Jane for Libby, and I'm joined by Dr. Darcy Harris, grief counselor and professor of bereavement studies at Western University, along with Dr. Stephen Taylor, professor and clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Taylor, uh, and this is specific to the pandemic, uh, I'm sure there is a lot of remorse among people who are thinking, I could have done more, and what if I had insisted on my loved one going to hospital yesterday rather than the day after? How do people come to terms with these feelings? Well, I think these are called um, counterfactual reasoning, that the sort of what-if sort of thinking. You know, you can mentally undo it with your mind. If only I'd taken my loved one to the hospital earlier. I think it's important for people to realize this is a natural uh, human reaction to a loss, If only, that sort of what-if reaction. Um, so recognizing... I'm sorry? No, we're listening. Go ahead. Con- continue. Yeah. Right. So recognizing that that, that that is normal, that that's a normal sort of um, meaning making. I think Dr. Harris touched on this earlier, that, that, that part of working through the loss of someone is making sense of what happened and ascribing a meaning to it, a meaning to a life or a meaning to what happened. And so it's important to understand that feelings of anger or guilt are normal, a normal part of the grief reaction. And it's important to people. Most people work through those by themselves eventually, but in some cases they will, will need the help of a counselor or a mental health professional. And Dr. Harris, mm-hmm. uh, these individuals that Dr. Taylor is referencing, they could also be susceptible to 
uh, overuse of drugs and alcohol, especially. I mean, it's changing now, but in, in the height of the pandemic, we they couldn't be with loved ones. They can't hug other people or sit with friends. Um, so how how big of a problem is that turning to substance abuse to deal with the feelings? I think we have seen a rise in use of, of substances. I think we've also seen a rise in domestic violence and in people who've had previous histories of uh, difficulties coping. It's, it's cropping up again, you know, now for them. So these, these are issues that have certainly been salient to all of us, not just here in, in Canada. They're certainly going to have an impact on the grieving process. Um, and, and you hope that people who, uh, who are struggling have access to support. I don't know that a lot of people really do or to supports that, um, actually are helpful to them at this point in time. You know, you're, you're also looking at people who've been stuck in, in lockdowns, you know, off and on for the last, uh, year and a half. And when you're locked down, you, you're not able to reach out to people who necessarily would give you that kind of support or do that in a realistic way. And you might even be in a home situation that itself is not healthy, which compounds, uh, what you're also experiencing related to your losses. So this is, it's just such an intricate web of, of different factors that, that come into play here. Uh, certainly, uh, the colleagues I know who are working in addiction services, mental health services, say they are just bursting at the seams right now, um, and they can't keep up with, with the demand for service. So what, what would you say to these people, Dr. Harris, uh, who may have turned to uh, substance to, to provide that comfort that they, they need? Mm-hmm. What would you advise them? Well, the first thing I, I say to anyone who's using substance is you're trying to cope. You know, this is a, a way to try to cope, to try to get through a very, very difficult time, but it's not necessarily a way that's going to sustain you. Um, so for people who, who really are struggling with not just the, the losses they've experienced, but also uh, with coping in, in ways that have made things more difficult, more difficult for their family or more difficult for themselves, to be able to access into your community resources. There are, you know, in, in Canada, we have the Canadian Mental Health Association. We have many different resources and helplines that will plug you into appropriate help to, to give you some support at this point in time. It's, it's hard. And for those of us who have a, a, a practice working with clients, many of my clients don't do well uh, not in person. And even though I'm very happy to do video conferencing for, for counseling and, and for therapy, uh, some of my older clients, this is very difficult for them and adds a layer of uh, difficulty for them. And the ability to just connect with someone in person is much, is in itself just healing. So for some people, this has been really hard because even when you're accessing services, you're not accessing services necessarily in direct contact with another person. I'd like to go back to the phones. Uh, some of you are feeling like you want to share your stories, and we really appreciate that during this difficult time. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, grieving during the pandemic for lost loved ones who succumbed to COVID-19. Let's go to Jane in Scarborough. Hi, Jane. Go ahead. Hi, Jane. Um, yeah, it's not been easy. Um, my mom died in long-term care a year ago, April. Uh, the day after she died was the day that we all went into lockdown and I had to come into work and lay off everyone at work after watching my mother being brought out of the home by men in hazmat suits and she was in a white plastic bag. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be with her. I couldn't see her. I couldn't see her for the month before she died. I couldn't see her body. I couldn't kiss her goodbye. And her ashes are still in my spare bedroom, waiting to be able to go and inter her ashes in the family plot in Quebec City. And I have no idea when I'm going to be able to go. And so, yeah, grieving has been hard. Um, having to come to work, not being able to stop, having to take care of all those people that had lost their livelihood because we got shut down. It was just, and it still is horrendous. Oh, thank you for calling. I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your mom, and especially under those circumstances, not being able to say goodbye. is That, that was the hardest. Yeah. And that was really the hardest. I couldn't, 
I couldn't hold her hand. I mean, I held my dad's hand when he died. I was there when he left, and I couldn't be there when she did. So how have you been able to find comfort for for yourself or some just, yeah, I guess comfort is the right word. Mostly work. Mm-hmm. And I just, I haven't stopped. I just, I come into work. I, I do my job every day. My grandchildren have been, you know, making, making Nana smile. Yeah. But, you know, like I've got her ashes in the dining room. So we have dinner with her every night, mm-hmm. but there's been no closure. And, you know, and like even a year and a half later, like now I'm crying again. Yeah. You know, I think it's okay. And then it's not. And then I try again, and it gets okay, and then it's not okay. And because I can't, I can't have any closure, I couldn't have a funeral. Mm-hmm. I couldn't let people say goodbye. I couldn't let people comfort me. The only one that could hug me was my husband. That was it, not even my grandchildren. So, And, you, and your experience, I mean, there were um, upward, more than 3,800 nursing home residents who yeah. lost their lives uh, um, after contracting the virus. Yeah. So this is, uh, there are a lot of people out there who understand what you're talking about because yeah. they also lived it, right? And she had been um, quarantined to her private room for a month before she contracted it. And they called me on the Friday night that she had a fever, and 36 hours later, she was dead. And she was fine before that. She had dementia and Alzheimer's, but her heart was as strong as an ox, and she was healthy to, you know, to the extent that she could be with with advanced Alzheimer's and whatnot. But, like, physically, she was fine, and it took 36 hours to kill her. And she had been completely... Um, quarantined in her room alone for a month before that. Dr. Taylor, uh, the story that Jane is telling us uh, about her mom, uh, this has been such um, a horrific part of this pandemic, the loss of life in long-term care. You're right. and These stories are tragic and heart-wrenching. And um, as, as an aside, I think people who aren't taking this pandemic seriously need to listen to more stories from callers like Heather and Jane who've lost loved ones because uh, um, this underscores the seriousness of the pandemic, but it also, um, these losses highlight the fact that it's complex and messy. Uh, it's bigger than grief, the loss of a loved one during COVID-19. There are all these cascading or ripple effects you lose a loved one, suddenly your livelihood is in jeopardy. Um, you might lose your home. You might have mounting financial problems. So all these things cascade. And as, uh, as Dr. Harris pointed out, you've got all these complicating factors too. People try and cope by abusing drugs or alcohol, and that makes their problems even worse. So we, we desperately need to have mental health services for these individuals now. Dr. Harris, do you have any thoughts or comments for Jane? I'm just listening to the description she had of her mother leaving the home in a white bag with uh, people in hazmat suits. And, you know, as her voice broke as she described that, I thought of how many people I've heard that's been an image that has stayed with them. It's a very traumatic, very difficult image as well. Um, and, and to me, that's just that feeling of being completely out of control, completely unable to connect, um, and, and looking at a, a, a life uh, that has been very full until 36 hours of, of you know, an illness and then gone. Um, how, you know, putting those pieces together is, is going to be very difficult and very hard. Uh, I also will comment about her keeping her mother's ashes and that there is nothing that says you have to inter somebody's ashes at a certain period of time. And maybe having her mother's ashes on the dining room table is comforting. And that might be a part of healing for this family as well, that we couldn't be with her in her death, but she's with us right now in our lives until we can come together and choose how to really say goodbye. So this might be very healthy for them and might be very healing for them as well. Jane, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Take care. All the best to you. Thanks. Bye. Let's go to Jasmine, Jasmine in Welland. Jasmine, um, you have a story of grief and loss during the pandemic. Hello? Yes, hi, Jasmine. Go ahead. Okay, I lost my partner almost a year ago now, but I didn't get to experience anything like what that other lady did. He was in Paris, 
at the airport and probably got it there. Mm-hmm. And they diagnosed him in the U.S. Um, about three days later. And he never came out of the facility. But I have, thank goodness I don't have any pictures uh, of it. Um, I just remember his last picture at his home. So I have, I just am grieving on my own by myself. Yeah, that's... Very hard. I, I can imagine. Did you have an opportunity to speak with him? No. It was, he, was too, he was almost in a coma. Well, Dr. Harris, um, or I'll start with Dr. Taylor, I guess, um, in terms of the psychology of pandemics, uh, of which you are a specialist, this is also a common scenario, uh, because, and it really brings home the whole idea of the pandemic, of a global phenomenon. It is very much so. The, um, the loss of loved ones and the traumatic images that come to mind, the images of a loved one, uh, you and a workers in hazmat suits removing your loved ones, those sorts of images, they are things that have happened in past pandemics. If you go back to 1918, there were descriptions back then of children seeing uh, the coffins of their parents and siblings um, taken away. Jasmine, um, we're very sorry for your loss. Were you able, how were your partner's remains, um, what ended up becoming of them? I I was not allowed to see him or go to the funeral because of the border being closed. Right. So I, um, I do not know if they managed the funeral then or not. I still keep in touch with his daughter. He has a daughter. I see. So we will probably sort that out Um because um, it's just been very difficult. I mean, she's only, she was only 16 hmm. and lost her dad. Yeah, so she's struggling a lot too. Yeah. Jasmine, yeah, thank you for sure. calling in. Thank you thank for sharing you. your story. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Uh, Dr. Harris, uh, is there anything else you would like to add? We're coming to the end of the segment, just because there are a lot of people out there who are listening right now and are grieving and don't want to talk on the radio and and are looking for some sort of guidance to feel better. Uh, you know that you're not alone, uh, even though you feel alone, and even though there's been so much isolation. Uh, I, I will point out that uh, the Canadian Virtual Hospice does have an online uh, grief resource tool called mygrief.ca, and that can be very helpful for people who are isolated or who are looking for different types of support. That might be a place to start. Um, finding support right now can be uh, online. There are a lot of online grief support groups and virtual groups that have been started and I'm, I'm hearing good things from some of the clients I've had who have joined them. But once again, it's that same. It just reiterates that we're, we're still isolated from each other. And you know, being able to, uh, you know, as, as um, the last caller talked about, you know, she never physically even got to see her partner, to talk to him. She didn't get to attend the funeral. She wasn't a part of that process. I'm sure what she's describing is not uh, an isolated case. And to know that, um, you know, the love that you had for this person doesn't necessarily die just because the person is gone. So we find ways to still reconnect with our lost loved ones uh, so that we can carry them with us in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our memories, even though we don't necessarily have the ability to do it as tangibly as we might have in the past. Dr. Taylor, final words from you. Yes, I think it's important for people in the community to realize there are online resources and other sorts of resources out there, um, and people don't have to suffer alone, that they can reach out to people and get the help to make it a little easier to deal with this difficult process. Thank you both for your empathy and your time today. It was very helpful. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much, Jane. Dr. Stephen Taylor is professor and clinical psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia and the author of The Psychology of Pandemics. Dr. Darcy Harris is grief counselor, is a grief counselor and professor of bereavement studies at Western University in London, Ontario. It's Jane for Libby. This is Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. We'll change topics in the second half. Are you ready to return to the gym? Will you go be going back to the movie theater as step three begins tomorrow? We'll discuss.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns after her vacation next Wednesday. Well, as of midnight tonight, 12.01 tomorrow morning, the gyms will reopen in the province of Ontario, along with the movie theaters, uh, and there are other loosening of restrictions as well. If you belonged to a gym or fitness center before the pandemic and say your membership has been on hold, that's been the case with me, with my good life on the West Mall in Etobicoke, will you be going back? And if you are going back, uh, will you be going back now or waiting a little bit longer just to make sure everything feels good to you? 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. The new guidelines allow for indoor operations at gyms and fitness centers to resume at 50% capacity. So what are managers and owners of gyms doing to ensure their patrons are safe as we continue to navigate uh, the final stage of the pandemic, and how will they be operating differently in this new reality? Joining us to discuss, Perry Tuccheroni, Treasurer and Member of the Board of Directors of the Fitness Industry Council of Canada, and Andy Vizd, Director of Fitness and Aquatics for the Schwartz Reisman Centre and Prosserman JCC. Hello to you both. Hello, how are you doing today? Just, Hi, how are you? Just fine. So if you were to reassure me, Perry, as, as a longtime client uh, at my gym, that I will be safe when I come back, what is it that you would be saying to people like me? Well, one thing I'd say is that we've been, we've been addressing this for a long period of time. We love these. Uh, if you remember Good Life, you may have remember from last time they were uh, open. All the protocols are in place. We went over and above the protocols to keep our members safe uh, from, you know, booking appointments online to, you know, uh, extra sanitization in the facilities to ensuring the proper distancing. Uh, in some of the facilities, even like Good Life's an example, they would actually have a break in between uh, before so they could do a deep clean. Uh, and what we've found that first uh, time we're open is we've actually had uh, over 15 million extra workouts in that first phase. We're open back in June of 2020. Yes, with uh, with zero transmission. So obviously, there's no guarantee, but the precautions we put in place have had excellent results in our member facilities and other facilities, our other members across Canada as well who have been open a lot longer than we have. So Perry, what's involved now? What does step three look like in the gyms in Ontario? Well, we're really pleased with step three. It's been a long time coming. We've been working with you know, the government to try to you know, show what we can do and how we can uh, have a safe environment for our members. Uh, but the 50% capacity is really positive based on the you know, fire code of the, of the facility. And the uh, classes are open as well. As, as well. And the, you do need masks when you walk in the facility, but you can remove the mask while, you're, while you are exercising. And then all the sanitization protocol is in place and the PPEs for the staff, they're all in place as well, too. So what will that look like if I'm going back to the gym? Will it? Uh, so when you look at 50% capacity, so at the height of 50% capacity, would it be that every second uh, piece of equipment is being used? It's a, it, well, it's two meters. It follows the protocol of uh, two meters around each, uh, you know, around the person. So if a piece of equipment is, uh, and it's set up differently in every club, so every owner will set up a little bit differently. And what would be the whole goal is to keep everyone two meters apart. So the staff will be monitoring people two meters apart, cleaning the equipment after someone uses it. So if, and obviously the size of the club will relate to the number of members that can exercise in that club. So a smaller facility will have a lot fewer members. So if their fire code is for, you know, is for a hundred people in there, they're allowed 50, you know, during this, uh, without the 50% protocol. And same thing in the class. It goes by the size of the class, if it's a, a group exercise class. So whatever the capacity of that group exercise class, long as it, long as it uh, equates to everyone being two meters apart, and then you can, that's the amount of people you can have in that uh, class. Andy, what about you? Are you getting a sense that members will be coming back uh, as they 
as they were before the pandemic? Yeah, you know, we're, we're looking forward to it, you know, for, for our facilities, uh, you know, in Vaughan as well as Toronto. Uh, we know there's some pent-up demand and, you know, the members that were with us prior, they are eager to get back and, you know, you know resume their workouts and, you know, enjoy that social atmosphere of, of, of the facility and the community that, that exists at each one of these locations. Um, and if we look towards what's happening in the U.S. market and even what's happening, happening out west with our you know, uh, British Columbia counterparts, uh, they're seeing a demand coming back. Uh, even during a time where it's typically slower in the industry, the demand is coming back. So we're very optimistic and, you know, really optimistic about what's, you know, going to be coming back hopefully uh, this fall. So you have to partake, obviously, you have to adhere to the new criteria. So the masking to and from the equipment, 50% capacity, health screening questions. What about uh, walk-ins versus appointments? What is the philosophy being embraced? So at our facility, we are using a booking system for current members. Uh, so current members that are coming into a facility, they'll have to uh, book their classes uh, online with an app or also the fitness center floor. Uh, we are accepting new members. Uh, it's not something that we did this past fall. We we're only servicing existing members, uh, but we're going to be uh, bringing in new members, uh, you know, starting August 3rd. And they'll be able to follow our previous protocols of our onboarding experience at our facility. Uh, you know, we have a unique onboarding experience where we set them up for success. And we'll be welcoming back existing clientele as well as new clientele. And Perry, what about at places like Good Life? Uh, is walking in okay or do you need to make an appointment? It varies. Uh, I believe Good Life is allowing walk-ins this time. Uh, with the 50% capacity, it's a lot uh, easier to manage than the previous uh, restrictions that were when we were open that short time last year. I understand LA Fitness is, uh, is walking in. Uh, but it varies between locations. It's up to the individual uh, owner and management of that facility of what protocol they're going to put in, pay, in place. As Andy alluded to with his facility, most facilities will have that capability of pre-booking a time for your workouts. So it'll be optional to them. So it'll vary from, uh, from ownership group to management team of each facility. And what about locker rooms? I'll, I'll put that to you first, Perry. There will be some locker rooms at some gyms that won't be open, right? Yeah, locker rooms are open, and as well, and, and also I believe, um, and saunas are open as well too. Oh, they Something are. Okay. Is, and Andy can probably end this better because he has those type of facilities. But for the locker rooms, you know, a lot of some of the facilities, what they're doing is they're blocking off every second or third locker to ensure that uh, two meter distance between, and then cleaning, make sure cleaning happens occurs when a member uh, leaves the change room. And also, they're encouraging members to not, you know, they can. It's available to. If possible, to shower and change at home. Well, exactly, Andy, and a lot of people would do that before the pandemic, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, what, Andy? What are oh, you implementing? Sorry. No, that's okay. What about your locker rooms? What's the plan? Yeah, so our plan for our locker rooms, we are ensuring that uh, people can physical distance. So we have uh, decals on the floor and signage available. Uh, that's going to be promoting two meters distancing. Uh, what we did this past fall, it worked out extremely well and ensured an, uh, enough uh, spacing would be allowed in between uh, you know, benches as well as the locker rooms. We're also doing every other shower stall as well uh, to ensure that physical distancing is, is available. I know there are some of you out there listening who belong to gyms, and I'm curious to hear if you're planning to go back right away this weekend, if you're planning to wait. Are you excited to get back to your gym? Have you maybe come up with a different regimen, so a fitness regimen, so you're not as in a hurry to get back? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. One of the benefits here at Zoomer Media, we uh, we are offered corporate memberships at Good Life, so that's always nice when you have an opportunity to get a bit of a deal and and stay in shape. Let me ask you both this, and I'm speaking with Perry Tuccheroni and Andy Vizd. Uh, are you worried? Are you concerned at all about those customers, those the, the people who like to stay fit and stayed fit all through the pandemic, that they've come up with something else and they may not be as in a hurry to get back to the gym, Perry? Well, I think our main concern is the, you know, is the health and well-being of all of our members and all Ontarians. Uh, obviously, we want to come back to the gym. Um, there will be some people that are concerned about it and other regimens, like people who enjoy going to the gym, like the camaraderie, having the social aspect of it. 
And as you can, you're a member of a club, uh, Jane, so you realize it's, it's a little bit different going to that facility. So, uh, there will be some people who looked at all the alternatives, but a lot of people will want to come back. There's been recent, uh, studies and surveys and one by the Canadian press that showed like 39% of health club members had, who were, who, uh, left when we were locked down did not start exercising elsewhere. So there's a lot of those people who want to come back. They like the gym. They need the gym for that environment. Not only the equipment in this facility, uh, you can't really get, uh, going outside or at home unless you know unless you have the space so just that whole atmosphere um we find in our other provinces from our members there right now they're back up to you know 65 to 70 percent of their previous membership which is very promising for our industry in ontario uh, i think probably around 50 percent will come back we're expecting but then we'll, we'll build that back up by just showing that we are safe and encouraging members and guests you know what, go visit the club and go have a look and a tour and see what they're doing so you're comfortable, uh, see if you're comfortable with what they are doing to go back. Well, Andy, on that note, are you expecting a lot of people to be out of shape when they return? No, uh, no. we're, uh, you know, we're we're expecting to, you know, welcome back anybody, uh, you know, in regards to their ability level. But, you know, we know that a lot of our members did participate in our digital programming during the pandemic. Uh, you know, our team successfully did uh, pivoted to digital platforms, and we had really good engagement with that. Uh, we also have been able to, you know, now that we're able to offer the outdoor programming, uh, we're offering our outdoor small group training. So uh, we expect uh, members to come back at all ability levels, but our team is prepared to help them wherever at, they're at in their journey. Great. Well, I wish you both lots of luck uh, and enjoyment as we get Step 3 underway at uh, 12.01 tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Perry Tuccheroni is treasurer and member of the board of directors of the Fitness Industry Council of Canada. And Andy Vizd is director of fitness and aquatics for the Schwartz Reisman Center and Prosserman JCC. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And still to come, what about the movies? Are you ready to buy a ticket, get your popcorn, and sit in a theater with other people? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Movie theaters will also be able to reopen as part of Ontario Stage 3 reopening tomorrow with 50% maximum capacity in auditoriums. Are the new guidelines a challenge to keep this sector going? And will you even be going back to the movies right away? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. Joining us for this discussion is Daniel Demois. He is co-owner of Fox Theatre. I've been in there myself a few times. An independent cinema located in the Beaches neighborhood of Toronto. Hi, Daniel. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess the difference between uh, the movie theaters and the gyms is that your patrons will be masked all of the time. Well, actually, uh, they will have the ability to take their masks off if they do want to eat some popcorn or have a drink. But the recommendation is that the masks go on immediately after. I would say one of the uh, primary differences would also be, you know, the people uh, sitting in a movie theater aren't necessarily doing any heavy breathing. Um, and everybody's kind of facing in the same direction. So there might be less of a concern in that regard. Right. So similar to indoor dining, which is also being allowed at 50% capacity tomorrow. Exactly. Yes. So what will it look like in the theater, in the movie theater, uh, with the red velvet chairs and uh, the big screen in front of us? How many people will we see or what would be the maximum that we would see? Well, right now, because the capacity at the Fox is uh, 248. So with socially distanced seating, we're looking at about a capacity of just under 100 uh, would be our max at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that, that's about what we're looking at. And, you know, everybody will be um, still coming in masked. And if they want to take their masks off in the theaters, they'll be able to. We'll still have increased procedures going on. And um, that's, that's what it's going to look like right now. We're opening up with uh, rentals specifically so we're for the next few weeks we're just going to be opening for private parties ah okay uh, and then we'll be do, which will be of up to 20 or two hour blocks 
And then we'll be opening up for regular screenings uh, just after the August long weekend. Okay, you're breaking up just a little bit. Maybe you could just turn slightly or move your phone a little bit. So what did you say about the private parties? How many people would be allowed? Those will be up to 20 people. Up to 20. Um, and then, yeah, we'll be opening up for screenings after the August long weekend. So this would be like for birthday parties and that kind of thing? Yeah, or just if people want to come out to see a movie that, that they didn't get a chance to see over the last year or a movie from their private collection. Let's uh, okay. That that sounds good. I mean, uh, and and how have you been managing through uh, the pandemic? Sure, the challenge like for like for everybody for all small businesses has been different. Um, but we've got a really supportive community, uh, which is uh, surrounded, going out and buying popcorn every Saturday night. And we have a lot of interesting contests, like a lifetime uh, lifetime VIP card that people were kind of had an opportunity to auctioned off the opportunity to participate in a the theater because some people think that it's haunted. So we we've, we've come up with ways to involve the community in this. Okay, that sounds really good, Daniel. I'm gonna I'm gonna let Zeev talk to you for a moment just so we can get your line uh, straightened out a little bit because what you're telling us is really interesting and lots of fun. Uh, and I and I want to hear from you as well if you're planning to go back to the movie theater. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. We have a resident uh, movie buff here. Jordan Chakravarty is the technical producer for Fight Back. Jordan, what are your plans? Are you going back? right away uh i think i might i'm a little hesitant uh i think at first uh just because it's like i'm kind of out of the routine now but before the pandemic i was going all the time it was a big thing with fan, uh, friends and family so um i'm a little bit hesitant um but you know with the restrictions in place i feel i feel okay about it it's definitely something that i'm looking forward to when things are you know feeling a little bit safer well and you're two weeks out from being double vaxxed right yes. So um, now, have you spo- have you set a date with friends or family that you might actually go back to the theater together? Uh, not yet. Uh, my my sister and I have plans to go to the drive-in pretty soon. Yes. Uh, and sit in the same car together. Um, but uh, going to a theater, I think, uh, you know, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. And I imagine I'll be making plans pretty soon, but I don't have anything set just yet. I think that's probably what a lot of people are feeling as well, especially those of us that are double vaxxed. There's no reason. I mean, if you're going to go to a restaurant, you could go to a theater as well. But still, it's it, you're right. It's like the change of the mindset, because now for 16 months, we have not been going to the theater and all of a sudden we can. So that's kind of weird. Thanks, yeah. Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Tom in Ajax. Tom, are you looking forward to embracing some of these uh, Step 3 reopenings? Oh, yes. Uh, I will be back at the gym tomorrow. Uh, the last time it closed, a couple of my workout friends were there that I've been working out with for 10 years. We don't socialize, but we agreed once they open up, everybody meets here at quarter to twelve. Uh, that day and see if we can't get back in again. Uh, we didn't know if they're going to make appointments or not. The good life here in Ajax, it's a walk-in. And uh, last time the staff was fantastic. Everything was sanitized. Everybody obeyed the protocols. It's, it, it's a 29,000-square-foot gym with a two-and-a-half-story roof. So there's lots of room for air circulation. And I had no trepidation about working there out there then, and I'm looking forward to going back tomorrow. Well, you know, it's funny, Tom, because those of us who do did go to the gym uh, before the pandemic, that was one place where everybody, mostly everybody, was very conscientious personally of cleaning the equipment after using it, right? Oh, absolutely. And it, uh, like I said, you know, everybody, there was only one instance in all that time where some guy didn't really had to, you know... Oh, follow the protocols and they just asked them to leave and then i ran into another a woman that uh, i knew from the gym she used to work there she's a fitness instructor uh just last week and she says i haven't been back since the first lockdown in february and i'm never going back to the gym and she's a fitness instructor oh 
it's just, yeah, she starts imagine all the gyms that were there, the germs that were there all the time. We were working out. We never knew. And I said, oh, oh okay. But that, you know, that's just individual. Well, that's personal. Yes. And oh, I yeah. know that I know there are some fitness instructors I've heard anecdotally that uh, were being uh, paid $20 an hour to run uh, fitness classes or do personal training. And they've been doing it themselves online and charging maybe double that. But it's still yeah. less than the facility would have charged the customer. So the customer's quite happy to pay whatever the fitness instructor has been asking for for virtual workouts. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. And uh, hopefully, you know, most of the people that I, some I haven't seen again for almost a year will show up as we agreed and we'll just be able to go in and, and get right back into it because I'm starting to really sag here. <laughs> and what about the gym or uh, the uh, movie theaters, Tom? Uh, I, I don't go to a lot of movies, I find, because they just play them so loud now to drown out the the inconsiderate people using their cell phones. So that's not an experience you were partaking in a lot before the pandemic anyway. No, but I imagine now uh, there won't be as many people in there, according to your guest that unfortunately had a little technical difficulty there. And I think that might actually end up to be a a more pleasant experience with less people in there. And uh, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't hesitate to go to see a movie now if there was one that I I wanted to see. Okay, Tom, thanks for calling. Uh, Enjoy step three. Yeah, thank you, and you as well. Have a great day. You too. Let's go back to Daniel Dumois. I think we've sorted out our technical problems. He's the co-owner of Fox Theatre, independent cinema located in the Beaches neighborhood of Toronto. Daniel, um, I just want to ask you about your staff. Did you have any challenges in bringing your staff back? Um, at the moment, no. We have uh, most of the had employed pandemic are going to be coming back. Um, so yeah, no, that, we're very excited to be welcoming everybody. It's been, uh, I know it's been difficult and we're, we're so happy to have, you know, we're kind of like a small family. So we're definitely happy to be getting everybody back. We might have a, we might have a few openings for the, for the most part, everybody's coming back. You may have a few openings for workers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of the big movies that are coming out, uh, once you finish this trial period with the private parties, uh, what films are you looking forward to getting in? Oh, well, uh, yeah, a few movies that we're really excited about. Like, there's the Anthony Bourdain documentary that's out right now called Roadrunner. There's a nice independent film called Zola that we're really excited to play. Um, obviously, there's uh, the new Wes Anderson movies coming out in a couple months called The French Dispatch. So so there's definitely lots of things that I think are perfect for our, for our audience. And there might even be a few that we want to bring back that people didn't get a chance to see over the last 15 months. Oh, that is a good idea, right? Because um, there people would not have had that big theater experience with a lot of movies that came out uh, since, what, it's been 16 months, March, middle of March 2020. Yeah, and, and I think if you notice anything, those of us who do like the movie theaters, I think we've noticed that the at-home experience is quite different. And I think people come back, they'll, they'll remember yes. why they're coming out. Yeah, why we've been going to the movies since we were kids, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Daniel, thanks for your time. All the best. Thanks so much for having me. Daniel Demois is co-owner of Fox Theatre, an independent cinema located in the Beaches neighborhood of Toronto. Jane, for Libby, tomorrow, I just want to remind you, it's free for all Friday, so get ready uh, to host the show. I'll be the listener tomorrow, and you can talk about what's on your mind in the news. In the meantime, have a great day. Bob Comsick is next with the news. Fight Back with Libby Snymer is produced by Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Jordan Chakravarti and Jeremy Logan. Check out the Fight Back podcast anytime at zoomerradio.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.